Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Really glad to have this young man on. His name is Peter St. Ange. He is a PhD. He's also a research fellow in economics over at the Heritage Foundation. Peter, nice to see you. How are you? It's great to be here. Thanks, Joe. Um, I really appreciate you coming on because I'm really, really confused. And I'm a guy who prides himself on knowing a lot about a lot, or at least a little bit about a lot. Um, But when it comes to digital currency, I'm truly confused because we're talking about centralized banking where I guess the central government controls our currency somehow. But then we hear about crypto, which is something different. Then we hear about king dollar not being used for trade anymore. So let's start on the very simplest place if we can. Is the dollar as the currency the world relies on for trade on the way out? If so, why? It is under threat, and there are two reasons. One of them is the inflation that we've had over the past couple of years. So that's, you know, rates of inflation that we haven't seen since the 1970s. And that's really been driven because federal spending has been completely out of control. Uh, And then the other part of it is just the sanctions. Uh, The U.S. has been engaging with countries all over the world and really kind of crossed a red line uh, last year with the Ukraine conflict where we seized the U.S. dollars of the Russian Central Bank. And the problem there is that even during the Cold War, we had you know hot proxy wars going on across multiple continents. We never even got close to doing that kind of thing. And the reason is because you want even your enemies to be dependent on your currency, on your financial system. So we'd always been smart enough not to shoot ourselves in the foot, yeah. uh, but the, uh, the, the Biden administration went there. And so now what's happening is that countries all over the world, countries from Brazil to Egypt to France, they are starting to wonder, are their dollars at risk if they cross the U.S., if they've got the wrong social policy or the wrong foreign policy, is the U.S. going to come in, take their dollars as well? Because if you do that to a country, uh, the reason you do that in the first place is that you want to set off bank runs. So all of these countries now are worried that we're going to come after them. You put that together with the mismanagement that we've seen out of Washington on the inflation and countries are looking for uh, for a way out. And, you know, China is only too happy to step in there and give that to them. They've got this group of dependent countries. Uh, I mean, I mean some of the biggest countries in the world, BRICS. Yeah. So they've got India in there, Russia, of course, Brazil. And they are trying to, uh, you know, create an alternative to drag all these countries away from the dollar. If that were to happen, we would see inflation in this country. We would see bank runs like we have not seen in our lifetimes for sure. It's uh, Peter St. Ange. He is a, a research fellow in economics over at the Heritage Foundation. What a great answer. Um, I assumed that it was Russia and China trying to, through finances, show themselves to be superpowers as well. But it's a very interesting answer. I never thought about sanctions. In other words, if we're sanctioning a country and we're holding their dollars for ransom or just taking them, that country now has the ability to say, hey, Brazil, why don't we deal directly? Or India, why don't, why don't we deal directly? Or uh, Iran, why don't we deal directly? We can bypass these sanctions and at the same time weaken the superpower that does exist now. I mean, that I never thought about that. So that's literally what they're doing. If we backed off the sanctions, it would bolster our dollar again? That would, yeah, that would go a good ways to doing it. That would remove, uh, you know, the main fear that all these countries have. And, you know, there's sort of a bigger picture here, which is that China's been going around the world waving a giant checkbook and it's been saying, look, we don't care what you guys do. Okay. We don't, we don't care about your LGBT policy, your environmental. We don't care how you deal with your activists. We don't care. You guys just keep doing what you're doing and we're going to float you plenty of financing, plenty of money for it. 
In contrast, you've got this administration, they're sticking their nose in every little social issue you can possibly imagine. The reason, because they've got activists, right? Yeah. They dance with the people who brought them to the party. So for a lot of these countries, places like Africa, Latin America, Middle East, you know, Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, who knows? You know, tomorrow morning they're going to wake up and the activists will have gotten the administration to do something and put them on the naughty list. Uh, and so, you know, if China comes in there and says, look, you you do your thing and we'll give you money. That starts to look very attractive for a lot of these countries. If that continues, then the U.S. Uh, it, it falls off its throne. The U.S. is not the U.S. dollar is not special at that point. And the context here is that because the rest of the world has used the dollars for 80 years now, there's something like two or three times more dollars in existence than we actually need here in the U.S. Wow. Right. Countries all around the world, they use them for trade. They save them. If you're a rich Mexican, you are not saving your millions of dollars in pesos. <laughs> uh, you're saving them in U.S. dollars. You've got a U.S. dollar account in Mexico. This is the same all over the world. And so if if these countries switch off the dollar, if the dollar is no longer special, if they're open to other currencies, then all those dollars come flooding back into here. Eighty years of printing dollars for the rest of the world to use comes it all comes back and bites us. And it, it devalues what I have in my pocket. Massively. Yeah. yeah. You could be looking at a 2x devaluation. Even if that happens over a couple of years, that would, uh, you know, that would be the 1970s all concentrated in one shot. It is uh, Peter St. Ange. He's got a great substack. It's S-T-O-N-G-E, St. Ange, all one word, dot uh, substack.com. Go and read up uh, about what he's got to say there as well. Let me ask you, because you just took us to the 70s, why exactly did Nixon get away with taking the dollar away from its gold backing? Why would anybody allow for this paper to be floating around that doesn't have a something tangible that backs it up? For sure. And that's what brings us to, you know, in order... You can't beat something with nothing, right? There's got to right. be some alternative. And so in the 1970s, uh, Europe was divided. You know, the closest currency in the world that could come close to the U.S. dollars, maybe the British pound or the Swiss franc or something. You know, those are much smaller countries, much smaller economies. Right. So Nixon could go off the dollar. Obviously, nobody was going to use the Soviet ruble. You know, they just penciled in whatever they wanted it to be this week. Exactly. Uh, there were really no alternatives. You know, Japan was still a poor country. You know, it was maybe what we think of as Thailand or something today. Uh, there were no choices. Today, there are definitely choices. Not only, you know, is Euro, uh, the Euro a contender, if the U.S. keeps screwing things up. Uh, China has a really a gigantic checkbook. By the way, a lot of that money, of course, they earned from exporting to us. They have a gigantic checkbook and they want to use it because in their mind they have they want to get the U.S. out of the world so that they have freedom of action. They see this as an opportunity. There are some people, Peter, who are saying that we can go or we should go back to the gold standard. Could we? Is that even possible at this point? I would love for us to go back to the gold standard. But but there's so many uh, dollars out there. How do you do it? Uh, as soon as you back the dollar, if you back the dollar with gold, right? If you tell the world, look, uh, all right, so today gold is about $2,000 an ounce. If you tell the world, uh, if you bring us one ounce or, you know, if you bring us $2,000, we will give you an ounce of gold. All right, if you announce that, uh, that to the world, the world actually believes you, here's what will happen. All of those dollars I just talked about, all those dollars going over to, you know, China or to Europe or to Japan or to Switzerland, because none of those currencies have any gold backing, right? right? So if you back the dollar, it's the exact opposite of what I just said. Everybody in the world 
Now they want dollars because dollars are the one hard currency on earth. We would absolutely win the game if we did that. But I don't think we have people smart enough in Washington to do that. It's uh, Peter St. Ange. No, we don't. PhD, uh, research fellow in economics at the Heritage Foundation. Let's talk about digital currency. I can go right now as we're speaking and go to my bank account. Let's say I've got $1,000 in there. And I'm looking at it. It's not really $1,000 because I'm not holding it. It's not in my pocket. I can go and get it, I guess. Is that the definition of digital currency that I see my amount online? Or is this a completely different thing uh, than dollar bills that would be the U.S.? fill-in-the-blank cryptocurrency thing. Yeah, so they intentionally use the word digital dollar to try to confuse you, and yeah. that is on purpose. It worked. Uh, what they're ta- uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, we've all been using the digital dollar for a long time now. You know, when, you, when you check your bank account online and you transfer money or you pay your Visa card or something, yeah, those are digital dollars. Right. When they use the word and they're talking about government, what they mean is something called a CBDC. Now, a CBDC is a special type of cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrency is a little bit like Bitcoin. It's a way to buy and sell stuff online. But this is an evil cousin of Bitcoin, all right? This is a type of, it's basically a giant ledger or a giant list where if you are using a government-controlled cryptocurrency, they can see every single thing you do They can control everything you do at the push of a button. So they could see, are you buying a firearm? Are you buying too much steak this week? Have you not bought your bug ration? Wow. Uh, They can can fine you immediately. They could put special taxes on it if they don't like it. You haven't met your green quota. They can even make your money erode. They can put what's called a negative interest rate on it so that every month you don't spend your money uh, you lose 1% of it. And they might want to do that if there's an election coming up and they need you to spend fast to to uh, you know boost the economy. This is an absolute uh, Orwellian you know surveillance coin. It is a control coin. It centralizes the entire economy. Every last dollar you spend would be, there'd be a bureaucrat who could look over it. They would use all this automatic software to, to you know to identify you, to punish you. Now, China already has this. They have a CBDC. It's called the E-Yuan. They have bragged about every single thing I just said. They've implemented almost all of it, or they're in the process of implementing it. So that's grand for China. China is a police state. Obviously, that's their goal in life. This is absolutely unacceptable in the United States. I couldn't agree more. You know, I went to China and adopted my daughter, Gia, about 12 years ago now. And when I went, it's interesting, and and I'm sure you already know what I'm going to say. They insisted on brand new cash. American currency. Yep. I couldn't, I couldn't e currency anything. I couldn't cryptocurrency anything. They wanted to, and, and you had to hand it to just, you couldn't even ask who the person was. Give that person 2000. Give that person 8000. Give this guy 20. Yep. I'm like, really? Um, so yep. obviously 12 years ago, the dollar was still really, really valuable to them in that they didn't want to do this e currency stuff. But if we had a centralized digital currency like we're talking about, we already saw in Canada what they can do. The truck driver said, we don't oh, like yeah. these rules. We're going to park our trucks. And they said, well, good, you can't buy anything. Can't buy food. Can't get, uh, get yeah. a hold of your money. This is yeah. money that they earned that Justin Trudeau had control of. Is, is that in a small way what we're looking at here if we allow it? That's 100% what we're looking at. Every tool that Trudeau used to attack peaceful protesters already exists here. We have the duplicate system. It's called the Bank Secrecy Act. They can already see in, but the thing is that in theory, under our current system, they're supposed to have a judge, uh, you know, give them permission. They're supposed to have a, a, 
a Sabina, you know, they can't just waltz in. They certainly can't automate these things. What a CBDC gives is push button control. You can do this all right at the center. You can take money from, you know, anybody you don't like. You can give money to anybody you're rewarding, you need a vote from. It is absolute centralized control. It's Peter St. Ong. He's a research fellow in economics at the Heritage Foundation. Go to his Substack. It's S-T-O-N-G-E, St. Ong, all one word, dot substack.com, and go check out all of his work. Uh, let me ask you about cryptocurrency specifically. I'm afraid of Bitcoin. I'm afraid of Dogecoin or Dogecoin, yep. whatever the... Uh, I'm afraid of all of it <laughs> because if you watch these... These movies and television shows, it's on a hard drive, and if you lose your password, you lose a million dollars, and the hard drive can be corrupted. Uh, Peter, I don't trust it. Um, it. We had a blip in the in the internet here in my studio two days ago, and we were off the air for three minutes. That's how reliant yep. we are on the internet. So if the internet goes down, my ISP goes down. If I lose my hard drive, do I just lose my money? Is it gone? Yeah, so there's different solutions to that within Bitcoin. You have different things like local caching, and there's there's all these solutions so that you don't have those kinds of risks. Okay. But, you know, what I will say about Bitcoin is on a sort of meta level, it is an absolute thing of beauty. Uh, the guy who created it was a massive fan of gold, and he wanted to design an identical thing to gold. It works the same. Uh, you know, you can, quote unquote, mine it. You, you produce it at a predictable rate. It's absolutely beautiful. It's digital gold. However, the thing with Bitcoin is it fluctuates a ton. Uh, you know, most people, it, it is difficult to understand. It takes some time to understand. Yeah. Anybody who's listening right now, if you know Bitcoin, you're good to go. If you don't know it yet, at most, buy a tiny little bit. Uh, you can go to a Bitcoin exchange. Somebody like Swan Bitcoin is reliable. Okay. Uh, you know, do a tiny little bit, buy like a hundred dollars and kind of goof around with it and get used to it. Do not put your life savings in Bitcoin. Right. I'm a huge fan. I love Bitcoin, but it goes all over the place. You know, never invest in anything that you don't understand. And there's a good reason for that. I'm not just saying eat your vegetables. The reason you don't buy stuff that you don't 100% love is because, you know, something like Bitcoin, it goes up, it goes down. If you don't absolutely love it, if you don't absolutely believe in it, you are going to sell at the bottom. This is guaranteed. This is human nature. That's how the human mind works. Right. So at most, dabble in it. Get used to it. Talk to other Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners are amazingly generous people. You know, the media always tells this narrative about anybody on the right that, you know, we're all jerks. Not at all. Bitcoiners <laughs> are extraordinarily welcoming. If you ask online, hey, I'm thinking about trying Bitcoin, people will help you out. But keep in mind, small numbers. Go with a you know respected um, uh, licensed company, somebody like Swan Bitcoin, Coinbase, for example. Uh, you know, kind of test your teeth there, and uh, over time you're gonna learn more about it. You can be more comfortable with it. But in the long run, I'm extremely optimistic about Bitcoin. It is digital gold, but it's digital gold that the government cannot control. All right, so that you you made it a, a little less scary now, and I appreciate that. And you're right, dabble in a very very small number that that if you yes. lose it, you you don't have to worry about it. But I would like to see what it does and how it works. So if I lose my hard drive, I'm, sure. not, I'm not screwed. I could, it could be cashed locally as well, and I don't lose everything. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's, and usually what? Uh, it, yeah, sorry, I was just to say. Uh, usually, when people start out with Bitcoin, they put it in an exchange, something like Coinbase. There, it's going to work just like your bank. You're going to feel very comfortable. With that. One last question for Peter St. Ange from the Heritage Foundation. Also go to um, stange.substack.com. And, and, and the question, I can't seem to get an answer. Maybe you've got one. $32 trillion is a number I can't even write. I, I, I guess I could write it if I wanted to, uh, but it's, it's stupid. It's dumb. Who holds that debt? The taxpayers haven't paid in that kind of money, so you got to get it back from somebody. Is it 
Please don't tell me it's China that's holding all of our debt. And if it is somebody who doesn't necessarily like us, what if they call it in tomorrow? What happens? Yeah, a lot of the debt is owned, I'm sorry, by China. Sorry about that, Joe. Yeah, uh, it's owned by foreign countries. Pretty much everybody in the world uh, owns big chunks of American debt. And the reason is because we run these massive uh, trade deficits and we export our jobs. Uh, another huge chunk of it is over at the Fed because the Fed prints money out of thin air and then it, it, it uses that to you know basically hand it over to the U.S. government. Right. And then what it gets in return are these treasuries. So a big chunk of it uh, is owed there. Uh, a big chunk of it is over at the Federal Reserve. You know, the Federal Reserve prints money out of thin air. They hand that over to the U.S. government. The way they do that is by getting government bonds. In return, we get another check. Uh, you know, another chunk of uh, the debt is backing Social Security and some other things that that we actually do care about. If those countries turn around and dump it, uh, ironically enough, they're actually hurting themselves, right? So if they sell treasuries uh, just out into the world market. We don't really care because treasuries, you know, they typically have like a 10 year term. Right. Okay. So like, you know, uh, we don't have to pay the money back for whatever it is, 10 years. And so uh, we don't really care who owns it. Now, on the other hand, if they do sell it, what will happen is that the price of treasuries will go down in general. And so that will hit, you know, uh, Social Security, uh, American banks, uh, possibly pensions that are holding those. So it does hit those people. But the thing is, it's it's really not in China's interest to sell it off, right? If China and all these other countries start dumping U.S. bonds, those bonds, they kind of turn into sand underneath them. Right. Right. So it, it, they end up uh, losing the money. It would end up backfiring on them. Peter Singanage, Ph.D., research yeah. fellow in economics at the Heritage Foundation. Go to his Substack, S-T-O-N-G-E dot Substack dot com. Peter, thanks a million. Thanks, Joe. It was really a pleasure. Okay, we'll talk to you again. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pegg Show. Really appreciate having Peter on. He gave us some incredible information. A lot of people in the chat room were saying they got a lot out of that. If you missed any of it, we'll put it up on uh, Rumble tonight. Go and check out the interview again. Next hour, Simona Maggiante Papadopoulos and much more on the Joe Pag Show. Stay here. Don't be an A-dub. Stay with the Joe Pag Show.